Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin today's broadcast with a word of encouragement. Those who are under pressure and remain faithful to Christ give evidence of their faith. They give evidence of being true disciples. Those who fold when the pressure's on give evidence of not being a disciple of Christ. In Luke 12, 32, as Christ often did, he reminds his disciples not to be afraid. Here's what he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, sometimes in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our trials here on this earth, we fail to cut through all that garbage and see the bigger, bigger picture. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the book, and you know what, folks? We win. It's a battle that's already done. We, we win. We win this battle. Is it going to be a struggle? Yes. But we win. Graceful Truth is next. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We're in the middle of our series called The ABCs of Discipleship, What Every Believer Should Know About Following Jesus. We're looking at Matthew chapter 10 today, verses 26 through 33. And as we do, we'll find out that a disciple does not fear the world because, well, as our teacher mentioned just a moment ago, we've read the end of the book. We know how it all ends. We win. That is some real encouragement, especially if you find yourself struggling through trials and temptations and other sorts of persecution throughout the day. Please join us as we are reminded and encouraged again from God's Word that we do know the end. We have no need to fear this world, and we should be fearing God more than man. With this edition of Graceful Truth Now, here's Pastor Steve. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 to 31. We're dealing with the subject of discipleship, what every believer basically needs to know about following Jesus. We've looked at a couple uh, different things in the past weeks. So I just want to remind you the purpose of this book, the purpose of the gospel of Matthew is to affirm that Christ truly is king. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that mankind would raise up other people, other things, other monarchs in competition to Christ. And we see that even in our society today. And when a person becomes a Christian, the Bible says that he submits willingly to Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and King. That's what a true believer does. He gives himself over to the sovereignty of God. From all the little things maybe he's followed before, all the kings in his life, he sets them aside to follow the king of kings and the master of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 42, he gives us instructions on what it means for those who are committed to his sovereign rule and reign in their lives. And just in way of review a little bit, last week we looked at uh, the, the goal of discipleship. We looked at that word disciple, and it means learner. And we, we, we mentioned that in Ephesians 4, verse 12, it tells us that we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, okay? We're, we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, we're to teach people about the work of the ministry, to get them involved in the work of the ministry, to edify them in their faith. And the way we do that is through teaching and preaching God's Word. Today, I want to look at kind of a, a different angle on discipleship because he kind of brings it around to a point, and he begins to talk a little bit about fear. 
And I just want to read for us verses 26 to 31 so it's fresh in our minds. And so you can follow along there. Actually, I'll start in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the, hell, the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, verse 26, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not, what? Fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the body, both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Subject this morning is, starts off with the idea that a disciple does not fear the world. That's what he's sharing with us. The disciple does not fear the world. In Matthew 10, Jesus is, is instructing his disciples not to fear the world in verse 26, 28, and 31. But you know what? When someone tells you, I'm gonna throw you out into a pack of wolves, and they're going to do all sorts of evil against you, the natural response is what? Fear. That's just something that's going to happen naturally. I mean, you can look at suffering this way as a Christian. We have the privilege of traveling the same path that Jesus traveled. Remember, after Jesus suffered, God vindicated him. God rewarded him. God crowned him with glory and honor and life. And you know what? He'll do the same thing to us. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid of them. Three times in Matthew. Do not fear. He says it in the beginning of the text. He says it in the middle, and he says it at the end of the passage. Each time, he also states a reason not to fear. I mean, it's impossible to miss that point. Do not fear here in the verses we're looking at this morning. Did you know that do not fear is probably the single most common command in the Bible? The Bible tells us to shake off fear about 100 times throughout the text. And it gives a reason almost every time why we should shake off fear whenever it mentions it. It says why not to fear, and then it tells us what not to fear. We shouldn't fear conspiracy, shame, insults, financial loss, loneliness. We should not fear armies or enemies. We shouldn't fear hostility or the lack of a leader. We shouldn't fear suffering or death, not our death or the, even the death of our parent or the death of our child or the death of a friend or a loved one. Isaiah 8:12 says, do not fear what they fear. In 1 Peter 3:14, it says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Fear is something that grips people. I mean, people are afraid of all kinds of things. What, what are some things that we are fearful of today? Just shout them out. What are you, what are you afraid of? Don't be shy. Financial loss. Financial loss. What else? Snakes. <laughs> What's that? Sickness. Sickness. Death. Death. What else? Terrorism. Loss of a job. Terrorism. I mean, we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? I remember when I was little, I was about 11 or 12, I was fear, fearful of heights. Just had a thing about heights. And my brother, my loving brother, who's now a pastor, at the time he wasn't so loving, but <laughs> my sister took the four of it, or the three of us and her, my other sister and my other brother, out on a road trip to California. And we stopped in the badlands of South Dakota. And I remember walking out in this big wash canyon kind of a place. And they had a, you know, kind of a guard there, a fence there, and you walk out and you look down. And it was just, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't even, you know, I'd be like, whoa, you know, I'd be 10 feet away, peering over the thing. 
my brother came up behind me and he grabbed me. And he took me out and he went, look! I mean, I thought my heart was going to stop. And then rather than take me back, he just dropped me, not off the cliff, but right there on the dirt. And I remember just going, oh my gosh, and going down on all fours, thinking I was just freaking out. And I remember crawling back, <laughs> this, this, this kind of little jut that stuck out there over this cliff. And I remember crying and my sister getting mad at him. Oh, he needs to learn to deal with that, you know. And I don't know if that did it or whatever, but later on in life, I started rock climbing. I mean, amazing. And, you know, I can get up on a roof, go up here and change the light bulbs. Not, not an issue with it. I don't know when that happened or what happened. Maybe my brother just shocked me into... But you know what? I no longer have... I have a healthy respect for heights. <laughs> but I no longer have that fear that just, ah, oh, you know, you start to get dizzy and just, boy, you got to hit the, the deck. I no longer have that. But we fear all kinds of things. Crowds, speaking in public. Some people are afraid of singing. I want to sing in public. See, when the Bible says, do not fear what they fear, what it means is... Don't take your fears for granted. Question your fears. Stop and say, what am I really afraid of? Don't just take it for granted. And in Matthew 10, what he's telling us is to put our fears in perspective. Jesus certainly promises his disciples trouble, doesn't he? He says, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have a lot of trouble. And if you just look at that trouble, you're going to get overwhelmed with fear. Just the idea of being thrown into a pack of wolves raging, ravenous wolves, that would be fearful enough. But he also went on, he said the disciples would be betrayed to councils, to governors, to kings. He said that in verses 17 and 18 of Matthew 10. He says all kinds of people will reject the message and hate the messenger. Our own family members may betray us. They may even kill us. See, but Jesus keeps all that in perspective and he wants them to do so. He says basically, if you're going to suffer, it might as well be for something important. <laughs> I like that. If you're going to suffer, suffer for something that's worth suffering for. Jesus says the cause is important. The person is worthy. And furthermore, he's going to take care of us anyway when we go through that suffering. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You know, I really believe one of the main reasons churches in general are not more evangelistic in their effort as individual members to go out and share the gospel in the community in which they live, it's work or whatever, because the fear of men strangle that desire for evangelism. Because we don't want to experience difficulty. Because we don't want to experience disrespect or persecution. And so somehow we hold back from telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And so often we're caught up as believers in this self-preservation mode. See, Jesus warned that persecution would happen. And he wanted his disciples to be bold in the face of it. And, that, and that's so important to understand that. When you're persecuted, you know, it's because of the boldness that you have in Christ. That doesn't mean, oh, okay, well, I don't like to be persecuted, so I'm not going to be bold anymore. The Bible does say there's times to pack up your tent and move on to the next city, <laughs> lest they kill you so you, you can continue to share the gospel. But it also says the same thing's going to happen there. You're going to share the gospel message. What are they going to do? They're going to persecute you. It doesn't mean you stop from being bold. He wanted his disciples to be bold in the face of persecution. 1 John 2.15 says this. 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, a person who is afraid of the world, a person who is not interested in witnessing for Christ, a person who is unwilling to pay the cost of discipleship, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's likely that he's not a Christian. He may be deceived. Their priorities are all wrong. See, when the pressure is on, people like that bail out. 
That's why a little later on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, they went out from us because they were not of us. It's the same thing in the life of Jesus. Remember when the disciples were following Jesus, and the disciples doesn't just refer to the 12, it refers to hundreds, possibly thousands of people that wanted to learn of Jesus. And when he turned to them and one guy said, hey, I'll go wherever you go. And he says, I don't have any place to put my head tonight. Probably going to be sleeping alongside the road or whatever. Oh, that guy was along for the free ride. The other guy wanted to go bury his father, who wasn't even dead yet, just to get the inheritance. And then maybe he could help Jesus out with the money from the inheritance. He didn't follow. The other guy wanted to go home and say, bye, folks. I'm going to follow Jesus now. And Jesus said, eh, you either follow me now or never. He had too many close ties at home. I was unable to cut those strings. See, those who are under pressure and remain faithful to Christ give evidence of their faith. They give evidence of being true disciples. Those who fold when the pressure's on give evidence of not being a disciple of Christ. In Luke 12, 32, as Christ often did, he reminds his disciples not to be afraid. Here's what he says. Fear not, little flock. Kind of an endearing term, little flock. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, sometimes in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our trials here on this earth, we fail to cut through all that garbage and see the bigger, bigger picture. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the book, and you know what, folks? We win. It's a battle that's already done. We, we win. We win this battle. Is it going to be a struggle? Yes. But we win. I mean, if I was in the, in the, in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson, and somebody says, hey, you got to go six rounds with him. All right. I mean, I would never get in that ring. I mean, the guy would just, even in the way he is now out of shape, I mean, one hit, he'd break my neck. But if the guy told me, you know what? At the very beginning of the sixth round, you're actually going to connect with Mike Tyson and you're going to knock him out. You're going to get basically everything beat out of you up to that point, but just hang in there to the sixth round. Because when that, when that punch lands on his, he's going to be out cold. And you're going to be one of the few people that have ever knocked out Mike Tyson. Do you think that would give me a little motivation to hang in there and take some punch and take some chops until the, the sixth round? Yes, it would. And see, sometimes we lose that perspective because we're getting beat up every day in the world. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus wants us to keep things in perspective, especially our fear. He wants us to understand that, you know what? Keep it in the perspective of eternity. Even after the resurrection, Jesus reminded his disciples not to be afraid. I mean, they saw Jesus raised from the dead, and they were still fearful. See, fear is something that Christians constantly need to be encouraged to avoid. We need to get out of the church and get out of our Bible studies to proclaim the Word of God to a world that's lost and dying on its way to hell, and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator said, we need to avoid being like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth. So many times, that's what we are. We get out there, and we just... I'd say something, but I don't want to be offensive to anybody. I want them to be my friend. We need to make sure, beloved, that what we're all about in, in sharing, sharing Christ is that we understand this in perspective of eternity. Because in verse 26, he tells us why. He says, Fear not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall be revealed and hidden that shall not be known. The reason we don't have to fear the world is because we know who wins. We will be vindicated. The disciple knows that he will be vindicated. Notice that verse in verse 26 there. It starts off with therefore. <laughs> therefore. You always look back why the there is therefore. You just go back and it'll show you. 
Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, just go back a couple verses. And what it does is it looks back to what Jesus had previously said. That since he experienced persecution in the world, they're going to expect the same thing. You're not going to get around that. Nevertheless, they shouldn't be afraid because he says, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hidden that shall not be known. Do you know the truth about everything one day will be known? Let that sink in a little bit. The truth about everything one day will be made known. We look at the world, the worldly people in the world and those who are successful. And we're looking around and we're seeing the wicked prosper, living in mansions and spending their money on craziest things. That will all change when the truth will become clear. God will reveal who was truly successful. And he's going to vindicate those who are his disciples. What is now hidden will be revealed when God takes vengeance on those who do not know him. He says, everything that is hidden will become public. That means glory for those who are sharing the message of Jesus. That means glory for those who are suffering persecution and judgment in this world. I'm often reminded sometimes when you're talking with people that in general, and this is a good thing for everybody to have in mind. I mean, for me personally, when I speak to anybody other than my wife, when I speak to anybody other than my wife, I remind myself, or I try to remind myself, sometimes I don't do a good job, but I try to remind myself that every word I speak to that person could become public in some way. And it almost kind of causes you to pause a little bit. In other words, you assume no one can keep a secret. Everything we say may soon be in public. But Jesus adds that everything will become public on the last day. In other words, no misdeed will remain hidden. If guards abuse the prisoners, that's going to be made known. If people gossip and slander, every word will be heard. See, evildoers cannot keep their evil deeds secret for long. And you know what? When you look at publicity, it's really a blessing for all that is good and true, right? Schemers and evildoers, those are the people that love the darkness. Those are the people that love the shadows. The truth loves the light. God makes the truth known, and so should we. And to do so, we have to listen to God. We have to study the Bible. We have to understand what the truth is. And we also have to test our thoughts to make sure that they are in alignment with God's word. Sometimes, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, I think God is just leading me to do this. Well, how do you know? Well, I just have this feeling. And everything's feeling-based. Your feelings can lie to you. I've had people come in and, and, and ask for, not in this church, but in another church, for counseling concerning their marriage. And they sat down in front of me and said, well, you know what? We just don't feel like we're in love with each other. Matter of fact, I feel like I love this other person who's not even my wife, so we're just going to get a divorce. What do you think about that? What do you say to somebody like that? They're listening to their feelings. Their feelings are lying to them, but they're listening to them. So we have to test our thoughts. We have to test what God is leading us to do against God's word. If an idea passes the test, well, then maybe the Lord's leading you in that direction. And we have to be brave enough to, to speak up when God prompts you to do so. Hugh Latimer was a leader of the English Reformation. And on one occasion, he had the daunting privilege of actually preaching before the sometimes violent King Henry VIII. And Latimer was about to say something with the king as his audience that the king might dislike. And I mean, the king wasn't a below going, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't like what you said off with your head. So here he is speaking before the king and he's about ready to say something that the king might take issue with. It tells us that he fell into an audible dialogue with himself. Standing in front of the king, he knew in his mind he's about ready to say something the king's not going to like. And here's what he said. Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say because the king is here. Then he paused and he said this. Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say because the king of kings is here. Then he went on to share what the king may have took, taken issue with. 
Another reformer, John Knox, was even more famous than Latimer for his boldness in the face of danger. When he died, they said, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. <laughs> see, that's the kind of boldness that this world needs to see in those who are called disciples of Christ. If Jesus says it, even in a whisper, we should shout it from the rooftops. Well, the first thing we see here is that he assures them of a reward. Scripture assures believers of their reward in various places. Just a couple, Revelation twenty two twelve. 12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus says, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. 2 Corinthians five ten says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive according to his work. Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Over and over and over again, we, we see the idea that we're going to be rewarded one day for being faithful to Christ. So if we're persecuted here for a little while, let's put that in perspective to our reward. Those who have an eternal perspective don't worry about being popular in this life. They don't worry about appearing wise and noble in this life because this isn't where we get our reward. Our reward is where? It's in heaven. So it enables disciples to confront a society in which they live with the claims of Christ while looking forward into eternity for the reward because it's definitely not going to come here. <laughs> you're going to be maligned. You're going to be persecuted when you're bold for Christ. The second thing he points out is the revelation. We, we need to live for the future. We need to live for the future. See, too many Christians trade momentary popularity for eternal reward. They're unwilling to live for Christ now. So they're sacrificing the eternal reward. In Luke chapter 8, verse 16 to 17, Jesus says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the what? Light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. 1 Corinthians 3, 12, 13 says, If any man builds upon, the found, upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall test every man's work of what sort it is. And you can look at other passages that talk about not only our eternal reward, but also about the idea that we got to get over the present and look toward the future. John Calvin, who was an incredible preacher, was banished from Geneva for preaching the gospel of Christ. They kicked him out. And when he was notified, he said, if we had served men, we should have been ill-rewarded. But we served a great master who will recompense us. He's looking forward. Our reward is not here. Our reward is future. Disciple knows he'll be vindicated. Secondly, a disciple fears God more than man. A disciple fears God more than man. Verses 27 and 28. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. See, a person who truly worships and fears God does not fear man. It just, does, it just doesn't go together. And you know that because, first of all, they keep nothing secret. You know, there's no secrets in Christianity. What Jesus has told us, we're to tell others. We're to give the message of the gospel in its entirety, just as we received it. At the time of Jesus, when the rabbis would teach their students on reading the Torah and different things, you know, they'd be in front of people, and the rabbi would stand here, and the student would stand here. And the, 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 it would be kind of like a, a, a teaching time. And there'd be people out there, and the student 
would listen as the rabbi would lean over and say, okay, here's what I want you to say. Say this. And he'd say it real quiet so nobody else could hear. And then the pupil would say whatever the rabbi said in his ear. Only he heard it. But he was to proclaim it to the whole synagogue who was gathered there. See, they understood that contextually and, and in their culture. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That young man would repeat exactly what he was told. And the Lord used that picture to show how disciples were to openly speak what they had been told privately. So when we come to Christ and God tells us through his word that, hey, you know, I want you to go share this with other people. We're to do it boldly by keeping nothing secret, by telling everybody. He said, when I tell you in darkness, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear proclaim from the rooftops or the housetops. In other words, he set no restrictions on what his disciples were to share with the lost and the dying of the world. They're to hold nothing back. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.